This podcast is proudly sponsored by Simmental Australia. The versatility and strength in both maternal and terminal trays should make Simmental's your first choice crossbreeding partner. So isn't it time you took your Simmental advantage? Well, last week we had a mother and daughter duo and this week we're sitting down with a father and son. Let's compare the pair. No, not really. This week we are crossing the country to WA to sit down with Peter and Charles Coucher. Charles has spent some time on the board of the breed in the earlier years and he's passed over his love and passion for the breed to his son, Pete. Although Charles is still very much actively involved in their business, he is so passionate about where they're going and it's in Pete's hands to continue that into the next generation. Awesome. Well, we're back for another episode celebrating 50 years of the Australian Simmental Association and Simmental Breed. This time we're heading to Western Australia. The cricket is on while we're recording it. Uh, so I've been keeping an eye on what's happening over in Western Australia. But interested to sit down with yourself, Pete and Charles Coucher, and find out a little bit more about your business. But firstly, how are you both getting on over in the West? Going well. It's been a, um, a good season for us, Ollie. Um, so we have had a, a good pasture year uh, without being exceptional. I mean, last the um, 21 season was out of the box for us, but this year's been solid. Um, good hay yields, and we'll start harvest shortly. And yeah, that looks like it'll be quite okay as well. So, you know, we can't complain season wise. And are you you back on two legs now, Pete? I know you had a knee reconstruction <laughs> or something recently. I've had, I've had a knee replacement on October the 11th, and I'm counting the days because it has been slow and frustrating and um, I, I can tell you now that I've done very little around here and I'm lucky that we've had team on the ground that can carry me, put it that way. Well, I was going to say, Charles, are you counting the days as well till Pete's back? <laughs> well, put it this way, mate, I get up earlier in the morning than he does and I'll probably go to bed later at night, but it takes me a lot longer to do what I used to be able to do a lot quicker. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, I think um, while we've got you near the mic there, Charles, can you tell us a little bit about your operation and where you guys are joining us from over in Western Australia? Well, I can start you right off from when we started breeding simmies. Was that what you'd like to hear? Yeah, well, I guess um, just first up, whereabouts in WA are you guys farming? We're about 150 k's south of Perth, off the Albany Highway, at a place called Williams. And uh, it's virtually the first town you come to on the Albany Highway when you leave Armadale, which is a suburb of Perth. And how long have you been farming there for? Well, there used to be a hospital in Williams, and that's where I was born, and my father was here on that farm, on this same farm, virtually, where we are now then. It was taken up by my grandfather, um, before that, so they used to shepherd sheep out here in uh, the early days, and uh, then Dad moved here when him and Mum first got married. Yeah, wow. And it was called it was called Quandering in those days, and my brother kept Quandering, and I sort of when we divided up and we went to Willandra. So uh, 
and added a bit more to it as we went. But um, originally the name of the farm was Quindering, where my brother's wife and uh, my nephew is still down there and he actually, we're leasing it now from when my brother died and uh, we employ my nephew until he gets a little bit more experience and um, he will then take it, his share back on Quindering and, and farm it separately. Yeah, wow. Incredible history. For you, Pete, what's it like to be farming like on the country that your um, grandparents have farmed on before and, and continuing yeah, on um, into the next generation? Yeah, also, as Dad said, so it's my great-grandfather that first took up the property. So, so it's uh, well over 100 years, I'd imagine, that we've had um, where well, we started here. And, I, you know, I'm... Um, it's very special. You get tied to it, and it's not just um, it's a, it's quite an emotional tie, isn't it? When you've um, your family's held something for that long, so it's um, incredibly important to us. And also, when we I know every year we do the bull deliveries of them, and we as we drive around the state and we come back to home, we're actually pretty thankful where we live, where we do, and um, it's a it's a nice, safe, reliable spot. Williams, we're on about um, five twenty mils average rainfall. That might have declined from when dad was a young bloke, you know, a lower kid. But we're in a good, strong area. Um, of, uh, it's a good mixed farming area, although I must say all our neighbours crop a lot now. And that's undulating sort of country. Um, but it's a, it's, uh, it's a pretty spot and we, we're, we consider we're pretty lucky to live where we do. Yeah, fantastic. And for you guys, have you, you obviously do a little bit of cropping, but you're pretty set on the livestock side of things? Yeah, absolutely. So we've, Got our stud simies. We have also have a, um, a stud red Angus herd. Um, I have just recently, in its very early days, ventured into some um, Angus. It's a very small numbers of black Angus, um, and we've got a, um, a substantial commercial um, operation. So I think um, we'll put it this way: all up, there's close to a thousand mated females um, oh, wow. on the farm this year. So I mean, <laughs> I always laugh when I talk to my Queensland mates. It's, it's more by comparison. Into some of you know that part of the world, but but um, no, it's a it's a decent size um, beef business for us, and it keeps us more than busy, so no, it's good. Yeah, I bet. And so, Charles, I'm I'm interested in going into simies. Why were you interested in simmentals, and when did you get into them? Well, we started initially right from the first time we could buy some semen, and the reason we did was my father um, used to run. An Australian Illawarra shorthorn herd, and um, mainly because it was the milking ability of them. And then he he bought Hereford bulls and put over them, kept the F1 females, and they became our commercial herd. All our commercial cows were Illawarra shorthorn Hereford cross females. And that was going back for as long as I can remember. And I could also remember um, him having some Angus and different other breeds running around the place at the same time. And uh, with dairy recording and performance recording within the dairy industry, he had more trouble trying to see sires that had a little bit more bone and a bit more butt profile with the more muscle type ones 
and I can remember my brother and I and my father sitting around in the kitchen down there one day and we picked up uh, a rural paper that came out. I'm not sure whether it was a local one or where it was and there was a photo of all these cemental bulls in there and um, we were reading about how they started off in the Switzerland in the Sim Valley and they were using the dairy and then they had gone over the Alps into Germany and beefed them up a bit and my father said maybe if we got into them we could have Hereford Simmental Cross have milk and have a little bit more extra power in the females and um, so from there away we went and that's exactly what we did we started and of course, we had to um, AI everything, of course, and then back up with Hereford bulls in the commercial herd. So then we selected some bulls and started upgrading um, into a purebred Simmental herd and uh, just kept going from there. And so how long did it take you guys to start to build your numbers? Was it a, like a small trial in those early years and just poke away for a little while? Not very long, Ollie. Um, what we what we did is we we did that. We started upgrading. We kept the F1 females. I mean, after breeding, uh, after joining ASBA and um, getting getting rolling and that, I actually bought and I think the tenderloin stud that was um, in WA bought a bull from New Zealand called Sundowner Ranchers Edward. They used him for a couple of years, and then I bought him off off of uh, the tenderloin stud. And so we started. We had, you know, a fairly um, early stage. We had had an imported purebred bull on farm. So um, and away away we went. We were still AIing at the same time, but once we could uh, get our hands on some. Uh, Purebred bulls um, away, you know, but there was a lot of bulls that we um, had a lot of doubts about because, as you know, when when you buy semen, imported semen, you don't know really what you're buying. We were breeding from bulls of unknown quality and quantity and temperament was the biggest issue of what we had. Um, I can remember... I can remember. <laughs> I can remember getting put out of the yards a few times. Um, so we had to do um, a lot of a lot of culling for temperament. We had to do a lot of um, different things, and we were talking about Dick Vincent. I can remember Dick Vincent coming to a state meeting and said, "Once we get this space, because Dick was our foundation president um, in WA and Australia." For that matter, and uh, he said, "I'm going for a trip around Europe." And I think it was '74. He went, and uh, when he came back, he, you know, we had bulls like Herod, Hampshire Mayor, Scottish Pride, Scottish Neptune. But he said, "There's one bull you got to stay away from." I said, "What was that?" He said, "Oh, his name's Firak." He said, "When we went to the..." Uh, collection centre, they had him tied up like an elephant by the feet. They had to dope him every time you went near him to try and get some semen out of him. <laughs> but there was a lot of that semen used in Australia, so you can imagine what that was like. <laughs> and a few of them ended up in your yards by the sounds of it there, Charles. 
I can. I just it was a pretty hairy time. <laughs> but um, but as we went on in our commercial herd, we did a lot different to what a lot of Simmental breeders. There was some of the entrepreneurs went in there and um, tried to climb the ladder very quickly, thinking they're going to make a fortune out of purebred cattle. We uh, we were totally looking for cattle for maternal value and not terminal. And uh, so our selection was mainly with um, crossbreeding with Simmentals and keeping a, a, a good herd of purebreds going as well, but crossbreeding with Herefords and, uh, and uh, Shorthorns so that we could have a good uh, maternal value female and it's really worked for us. And then when, once Pete came home and we started in Red Angus, um, all of our commercial herd now is virtually Red Angus Simmental Cross. Can I ask on, Charles, where you're saying that some people were looking for those kind of quick wins and quick gains. So why weren't you enticed by that kind of similar mentality and looking to play a longer game yourself? Well, I think it's a long term. Everything's a long term investment when you go into farming. Um, yes, some people go out there and they'll spend a fortune on on a couple of cows and bulls and flush and carry on. And if it comes off, it's not a not an easy game. And um, you know, you can go and you can buy a bull. That's the best looking bull in a, in Australia. And it doesn't mean to say you're going to get the best calves or you can buy something that will match with your your females for a lot less money and do just as well. So we didn't we didn't venture into trying to breed the best thing you could see or the best thing you could find in Australia. We ventured in what we thought was a long term investment production. Mm. And so for you're obviously still actively involved today, Charles, but um, Pete, with where you sit and involved in the mm. business, where, like how how's that set, setting you guys up for success today and what you're doing? Um, well, Dad, just to add something, Ollie, Dad doesn't credit himself for perhaps um, selecting on performance more than anything as they went. You know, he's talking about crossbreeding with Simmentals, but he's been very big on producing a a type of Simmental in the early days of our purebreds and a type of commercial care that we know performs for us. And um, he was a, so performance is everything. And so when we were able to access breed plan, that we were we've been involved with performance recording right from the get go. That was a very handy tool to objectively do what do what I think they've been doing. He's not you know, Dad, his brother, and his father have been doing for years, Ollie, um, in selecting on performance as best they could on phenotype. But with that objective measurement came a wonderful opportunity to back that up with numbers. So. Um, and yeah, so that's what we're about. Just, um, I mean, long-term investment in your herd in terms of um, setting up a, a strong foundation is perhaps more important than just going out and spending the, well, for us anyway, not, not for everyone, but for us spending huge dollars on one cow and flushing and stuff. We like to produce lines of cattle um, with um, hopefully varied um, genetics, you know, that also, but all very similar on top. That seems to have served us well for a long period of time. 
I want to ask sure on that. that. Answers your question. Yeah. yeah. No, because because you, you're also chatting there about uh, like what works in your business, and mm. so as a stud as well. How have you been able to make sure that what you're doing has a purpose for you within your herd, but then also serves your clients? And maybe how have you gone about supporting your clients, oh, yes. finding clients? Uh, it's market driven, Ollie, and so that's what I'm getting at. So that's what we talk about having cattle for um so for our environment um our conditions um and our and most importantly our market so our market is very much um young uh weaning put it this way a big profit driver for us is weaning weight driven you know so um because if we can turn off a decent weaner that's what we get paid on that's the production from our cow um so we look for really efficient cows that give us good weaning weight, and then we're looking to target. And so that those calves are in demand, they have to have a few key things. They have to have shape, or you know, good thickness, and they have to have softness. And from a female side of things, for us as a self-replacing herd, they have to have good maternal traits in their background. And um, yeah, and you know, feminines, you know, looking for well-structured females with capacity and um, and femininity and yeah, good maternal traits. I hope that answers your question a bit. Yeah, no, it absolutely makes sense. And and so you touched on a little bit there about your markets of getting weaners up to weight quickly yeah. and turning them off. So what are you guys yeah. um, breeding for within your operation? Like, What are your actual Yeah, markets? so I should have yeah, expand on that. So, for example, a lot of our steers and some of our um, heifers, those that we don't keep, end up in a, a local feedlot to a, a big feedlotter here in Williams, uh, Weldon Beef. Um, and his market is very, it's just a domestic market. So he's looking to, you know, for our calves at around, um, they're weaned and then at around 14 months of age, they're often gone. Well, they're pretty much all gone, 15 months tops, but around 14 months of age and dressing out at around um, 280, 275, 280 kilos. Um, and then with that, around that eight mils of fat um, uh, and hopefully a little better on some, but um, that's where he likes to hit. And the simis do that exceptionally well, especially the simi um, Angus crosses and simi red Angus crosses. Um, they do that with, you know, very, very well, hit that, hit that market. And in your herd now, because you, you guys obviously like to keep yourselves slightly busy, so you've got uh, obviously the simi stud. You've also got the red Angus stud as yep. well. And did you say you're going to black, like you've got a few black Angus now as well? Yeah, just a few. <laughs> that was driven. That was... I don't know why. <laughs> love bookwork, Ollie. Just love bookwork. Yeah. Um, so that was driven interestingly by clients that we that purchased traditional Simmental Bulls Office because that's our that's what our go. That's what we love. Um, and they would say they would say to us, we do a bull delivery. Geez, um, didn't mind your red Angus bulls, but they're not black. So, <laughs> so um, we thought, oh well, we can't ignore this any longer. We're going to have to look at it. So going forward in the future for us, um, we'll develop a black line or an Angus line, um, and we will develop also a commercial line of um, Simmental Angus Cross, like we do with our Simmental Red Angus Cross, and do and target exactly the same market and do exactly the same thing except for coat colour. How's that? Just give the people so, what they want. <laughs> yeah, the what do they say? The consumer is all yeah. The consumer is always right. So. So they reckon. <laughs> yeah, so they reckon. But um, so that's what we're that's what we're up to at the moment. So everything we've done has been very market driven and very market orientated. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, that's a, that's exciting. Yeah. It certainly yeah, keeps it you guys. Yeah. 
keeps your finger mm. on the pulse as well in terms of you're not you're not chasing the the next trend or fad. You're actually building to what's relevant and what people are actually looking for. That's true. So much so, Ollie, that it's interesting. I remember not that many years ago, and Dad will agree, the target market for that, you know, the one I'm talking about, like young cattle, so you weaned and then into the feedlot or grass-fed and done. Um, I can remember years ago, they used to love 180 to 220 dress. You know, that was your premium sort of market with that sort of um, six to eight mils of fat. And then carcasses over 220 were penalised. Well, those days have gone now. So our feedlot, they want young cattle, you know, the penalty, they can feed them up to 300 kilos. Um, dressed and that's where they want to be with with adequate fat cover and it's a shame we haven't got being paid from Marvin yet we're very conscious of it and we're trying to lift that a little um, across our herd um, in our semis and very conscious of, of it with our reds and angus because I I foresee a day when maybe they might put a little premium in there for Marvin well, we, we I, they probably should do in terms of eating quality but as yet we haven't seen that so all that's driven is by it's, you know, a carcass weight um, within their specs and fats within their specs at the moment. Yeah, right. I, I want to jump back to Charles because he mentioned Dick Vincent before and obviously Charles or even yourself, Pete, but Charles, you have been incredibly involved in the Simi breed for quite some time, but your history with Dick goes back quite some time. So how do you know Dick? And tell me a little bit about how you two met. Well, my father used to breed thoroughbred racehorses and Dick Vincent got involved with thoroughbred racehorses. And when I was about 10 years of age, my father had a, a, a thoroughbred stallion down there called Victory Lad that had won a Division One race in every state of Australia or something like that. Anyway, Dick bought that stallion off of Dad. And not knowing anything about what was going to happen, um, in the future from that dad's home farm that was only a few k's away from here where he grew up as a kid with his parents and so on Dick actually ended up selling up at Dongra and he bought that farm and he started his Simmentals in Williams and of course we all got very much involved with Dick then and um of course, Dick, um, we'd see a fair bit of him, and he'd come and visit Dad, and Dad would go and have a tour. Then, between the two of them, they'd tell the biggest load of rubbish you'd ever heard in all your life about <laughs> how good their horses were and how good they were. Uh, but Dick was an innovator. He was, you know, he was always out there and he was always ready to lead. And like I said before, I mean, you've only got to read his history to know that um, where he'd been, he's, he's had some mares, some of the best brood mares in Australia, in fact. And um, when him and Dad got together and started talking horses, and Dick also had a Hereford stud at Dongra for a short period of time. And uh, then we started a Simmental stud in, uh, a Hereford stud, stud sorry, sorry, in, in just before we started our Simmental stud and um, we were sort of um, groping around with, um, we actually had Dick's old bloody road sign as ours, we just painted over the top of it, 
but uh, yeah, so we knew I knew Dick for a long time, and then when when we got involved with um, Sementals, Dick was the first foundation president in Western Australia. He was the Australian foundation president. He went on the World um, Federation, and he was president of that, and. Uh, so he, he really got himself and, and you know, he got involved with um, like Dr. Hans Grasser and that when they were setting up the performance record. He was actually the first first person to to get involved with free plan and uh, he got involved with Arthur Rickard, Rickards Arthur with Rickard. the cattle uh, ARCPA, Australian Registered Cattle Breeders. Association, and there's still the R.W. Vincent Award that goes through that society annually, and uh, you know he he was a very astute cattleman, and uh, he travelled around a fair bit, and I learned a lot from him of what was coming from here and there. Um, the Simmental breed changed a fair bit, and I can remember. When we run out of a lot of the uh, genetics that was coming from the Scottish Milk Marketing Board and, and uh, those ones, and there was some um, big cattle coming in out of America, really big, tall cattle. Raw. They were very raw, frame 10 type cattle. And Dick would say, Right, hey, you guys just keep away from it. But we know that some of the semi breeders all went for that way. Uh, but they soon got out of the game. And uh, here we are. We're still going with uh, what we believe is a moderately framed, early maturing a type and um, supplying the market with what we consider as the right and what we can sell. If we don't breed that sort, we won't be able to sell them. It seems like, Dick was definitely not someone who would just do things half-heartedly, whether it was his sailing or the horses or or the agriculture and cattle side of things. He's, he didn't do things by halves, did he? No, he didn't do things in by half. In fact, I was only reading a little article about him. When he first left school, he joined the RAAF and he was up in Darwin until he came back and he, nothing was given to him. Everything that he had... He had to work for, and uh, he was a leader. There's no question about that. A great leader, and always ready to share his knowledge with everybody else. Never selfish to the fact that um, you know he just didn't care about anyone else. He didn't just do it for himself. Otherwise, he wouldn't have got involved with all the businesses and, and breed societies. And um, you know, there's, they said something about when he first. He took on the president of Arkbar. There was only six breeds that was involved with it, and he was president for three years, and it climbed up to something like 32 in the time that he chaired it. So uh, I think that says a lot to Dick. Yeah, how would you? I'm just trying to think. Like, how how would you describe him? So obviously, people who have never met him, and you you talk about like a lot of the leadership uh, ability that he had. But in terms of what are some of the themes or things that Dick really brought into so the Simmental breed here in Australia that still ring true today because of the type of person he was? 
Well, I think it was the way he, Ollie, that he presented, presented it. You know, he would write out when he was uh, like the foundation chairman, he would write out a newsletter and he would say where he'd been, what he had done, the type of things that we should be looking for. And he gave people the confidence in the fact that he was involved with ABRI, he was involved with ARCBAR, he was involved with all of these things. So he used to go to all those meetings and he'd come back and he'd say what they'd been discussing at the previous meeting and he really got it turned up. He had whole field days on his farm and uh, he, he really got people motivated um, to want to do things. And, you know, he was just the sort of guy that when he stood up to talk, you listened. You know, he sort of held your, uh, he held you so that, uh, that you didn't want to get up and walk out, put it that way. Very good, good communicator. Incredible right trait to him. have. Mm-hmm. Now, so Dick's obviously one, but through being involved with the breed since the very early days, who else have been some of the people you guys have, have been involved in and have really built friendships through through the Simi breed? And that's a question for both you, Pete, and Charles. Where do you go? Well, I suppose, I suppose <laughs> when, I, when I look around at what, you've probably got the Baker group in South Australia that I've known for a long time. There was the Emersons in Victoria. But you've got to remember that most of most of the breeders, if you look, um, there's very few foundation members left still breeding Simmentals. Um, some of them have been in longer than others, but you know, like over here, we had like Dirk, Alan Fletcher, um, that had that he got uh, probably halfway through the 50 years and um, got out. But there's a lot of people that um, of the foundation members that I never ever met. Um, but it was it's been a sort of different sort of uh, outlook for what you know, in recent years anyway, for what we had back in the foundation days. I think um, well, Dick's son, Peter, was a big influencer on the breed too. I mean, just that, that family, the, the, I mean, a lot of the improvement, the foundation we have of good traditional simmies has come, or good simmentales has come from that family, from Hamlin Park. I mean, I can remember, Ollie, I had to tell this funny story. When we used to show Dad, we'd walk in, we'd, we'd take a team of four often, two junior bulls and two junior females or one junior female, just a small team, and um, that was enough. And Dad, we'd march off the truck and into the cattle lines and tie up and we'd walk through the lines and Dad would cast his eye over and we'd turn to, you know, start getting organised with other things and Dad'd say, oh, well, Peter's got junior bull and junior heifer, you know, just looking over the top of them in the, in the shed. I said, how the hell can you tell that? And he said, well, if he doesn't, there is something seriously wrong with the judge. (laughs) (laughs) I always found that as amusing as a young bloke, for the old boy to do that. (laughs) And that happened repeatedly. That happened repeatedly over a few shows. (laughs) Hamlin Park would bring one junior bull, one junior heifer and clean up. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm interested, why... Why, why is the Simi breed still as relevant today as what it was way back when you guys started? Mm. I, I'll go, can I go first on this one? <laughs> I reckon the Simmental breed, 
has been largely underrated by industry in Australia because I think it is a breed that, um, especially for our market, Ollie, um, gives you in a crossbreeding situation, in a crossbreeding situation, whether on, on any British breed, just gives you that extra growth, that extra weight gain. Um, we've got softness in our simmentals and and maternally as well, those crossbred females um, uh, are wonderful. So you can use your, I mean, the way we do it with our simmies and red angus is we'll select all our replacement heifers, go through them, um, just select the best. They all get a red angus bull for first calf just because it's easy, we'll do that. And then from there on in, they pretty much get a, a, um, a many of them will get a simmental sire, but we'll draft up on type. So those females that are leaning a little bit towards um, Simmental and style or type, we'll get a red Angus bull and vice versa. But the Simmental just gives you, I just think it's got that, well, well you hear it often, you often see it written or said that explosive early growth, you know, turning off weaners early or turning off young cattle early for the market, that's got to be an efficient system, surely. And that's where I think their great strength is, just that, you know, that ability to get young cattle, young cattle into the market early is a good thing. And what about yourself, Charles? Whether you can say that we've still as keen as or, or still got the enthusiasm within the breed to do what they used to have, you've got to remember that, and they probably might, um, some of the breeders won't agree with me on this, but they, we did have a 1,000 members. Now we're back to about 300. Um, but not enough people use them for their maternal value. Mm. You know, when we set up the performance recording with, um, free plan and we got onto indexes if people had to use more of the maternal type traits and maternal indexes they could have had a lot more demand for the simmental as a, as a crossbreeding female in the commercial herd because um, they are fantastic at that. I mean all European breeds are a bit higher maintenance than British breeds we know that but um, when it came to producing a calf, we needed that little bit extra milk in most of the British breeds and the Simmentals definitely gave it to us. And I think, you know, some people missed the boat a little bit and a lot of it was colour driven. Unfortunately, um, I think that um, they've got to maintain purity within the breed to be able to get a decent F1 female and they've got to look for those indexes that are going to indicate um, a bit of milk. So um, anyway, you know, everybody has different thoughts about what they should do and what they shouldn't do. But I believe that the, as the Simmental breed's been used more as a terminal sire than a maternal trait. And I think that's where it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully, a few people listening to this jump on the bandwagon and spread the word as well for you. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, Ollie, that is good. Who knows? I've got one one final question for you. In terms of this, is a bit of a crystal ball question, but in terms of in fifty years' time, what does the simi breed look like in Australia, and is it still or is it more relevant than what it is today? Well, 50 years um, we'll come back and check in yeah, on it. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you my indication. 
I would say by the way it's going, it'll be black. Mm. There'll be very few purebreds. They'll only be partbreds. In other words, they'll be crossbreds. Mm. Um, I will. I won't be here in 50 years' time. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> but if I was, I would still be breeding traditional mm. type Simmentals because I've um, spent 50 years doing what I've loved doing and love the cattle that I do it with. And uh, I think, you know, a lot of Angus breeders would say the same to that or Hereford breeders or whatever, but I think they've served me well and um, I would I would always maintain them as a, as a maternal breed as far as my commercial females go. Yeah, I think that summed it up, Ollie. I, I think we'll see a world here in the southwest of WA where you'll drive past every paddock and there'll be a black animal, just about. That's what it seems to be. Um, but for us, we enjoy doing what we're doing and we'll always keep our simmental base regardless. You know, um, so long as we can source the right genetics, um, that's what we'll go for because, as Dad said, maternally they're wonderful and they just give you that extra punch, that extra 10, 10, that extra 10 or 15%. What farmer wouldn't um, want that in their operation? That's Absol- about it. Absolutely. The, the good all-rounder. Is, yeah, like that's it. The good all-rounder. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Pete and Charles, thank you so much for joining us for a bit of a chat. You go alongside uh, some of the names you mentioned, Baker's, and others who have been part of it. We also had Audrey Waitman from over your way join us earlier in the series. So thanks for taking the time to chat about your involvement with the Simi breed. And I'm sure many people will love hearing both of your insights as part of it. Uh, Thanks, Ollie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Ollie. No worries at all. Thanks for that. Thanks for taking the time to hear just a handful of the stories that have been a part of 50 years, the Australian Simmental Breeders Association. We've absolutely loved sitting down and hearing both the history and also the passion for where the breed's heading into the future. I think one thing which has really stuck out is that its importance and relevance today is just as important as it has ever been. If you have any feedback, please feel free to get in touch with Felicity and we can't wait to chat to you soon. Cheers. This podcast is sponsored by Simmental Australia. Unlock the potential in your herd and take it to the next level in performance. It's time to take your Simmental advantage.